0: all right hey all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the blasters and blades podcast just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies a place where magic is king the sky is the limit and space is the place we are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction so without further ado we've got uh, a special guest and a special host we'll, we'll start with the guests because we have manners uh mr steve can you uh, introduce yourself to the listeners and yours
1: yeah, my name is Stephen Chenault. I'm the CEO of uh, Troll Lord Games, uh, we've been in business since about 1999. Our flagship products are Castles and Crusades. We do a little bit of Fifth Edition. We actually have a Five E Kickstarter going at the moment, uh, and then we d- we've done a little bit of board games, card games, all kinds of stuff over the years. Uh, worked with Gary Gygax for, for about eight years up until the point he passed away. So uh, we've been we've been hacking away at it for for a while. I've been I've been at the helm since 2003. Matt Golden was the original CEO.
0: And I understand from from Chuck because we we set this up with Troll Lord Chuck that that's actually his given name. His mom just didn't like it very much, so she did name him Troll Lord. So it's nice of you to you know, in sympathy name your company that. We we really do think that was that was mighty kind of you.
1: You know we 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 started calling ourselves trolls before trolling on the internet was a thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, as well, our special guest, uh, our uh, RPG nerd extraordinaire, we've got none other than Sparky. So can you? introduce yourself to uh people who might not remember you've been on the show before
2: yeah uh my name's rob aka sparky i run All times tavern gaming over on twitch uh we mostly uh, stream uh ttrpgs uh, including castles and crusades is kind of our bread and butter right now but we've sometimes run other osr systems and we get up to all
0: kinds of weird shenanigans
2: and and have a good time
0: So the next part of the introduction to your listeners, how we first found them. I actually found Steve through Sparky. He's been trying to get me hooked on the math rocks and uh, role playing. So he introduced me to your your product when I was looking for. uh, So I started with uh, 5E. It was confusing as heck for me. Then I did 3.5 and the game (sighs) fell apart. And that's when I started the 2E game with with James Ward. uh, That was the Crimson Hawk that ran for about a year. And so I was looking for something similar to that, and that's when Sparky stepped in and started introducing me to some of the OSR stuff and teaching me how, how to DM so I can do it for my kids as I figure oh, it out. Oh, I've seen so. So Sparky, how did you how did you find the the one and only Mister Steve? Uh, actually, it's kind of funny. Robert uh, uh, Rollard
2: over at uh, uh, Old School D anD D, he always talked about how good Castles and Crusades was. But I'm gonna admit a bit of ignorance on my part when I heard Castles and Crusades. I'm like, oh, this sounds like a this is what a, a medieval Middle Eastern you know <laughs> roleplay. I'm like, well, that's really cool. Actually, I'm gonna go visit that in case we ever want to play that game. But but it wasn't until later. I started really looking at it, and I'm like, holy cow, this, because at the time I was looking for a, 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 a system closer to AD&D that was a little more refined and offered more uh, options than like White Box or Source and Wizard Tree, and I started looking at it, I'm like, this really makes sense. This This is what I've been looking for,
0: and here we are. All right. So now on the religion question. This wouldn't be the Blasters and Blades if we didn't ask. So, Steve, no pressure, but there are here. Star Wars, Star Trek or Firefly.
1: Which do I prefer? Is that the question? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Firefly, Firefly, hands down.
0: That is not the answer that will get you kicked off the show. All right. So and because we're polytheistic <laughs> here, Game of Thrones, the Lord of the Rings or the Wheel of Time?
1: Lord of the Rings, without a doubt. (laughs) Without a doubt.
0: So I've been told by some of the people offline that we've asked this question to that that question is unfair. It's basically how you want to cry and be disappointed in life by which book you read. Because all of them have things that will break your heart inside of them. (laughs) All three of those. Uh, Although George makes it a little... Go ahead.
1: I've never read The Wheel of Time. I've read uh, Game of Thrones and... You know, I I don't say this often, but there's rarely been fiction that has made me as angry as the Game of Thrones. It made me me so angry that I convinced myself to finish the series. (laughs) So I'm not 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 a huge fan of Game of Thrones, but I've never read real time. I hear great things about it, but the books are a little bit daunting at 800 pages per volume. And there's... A lot of volumes. So
0: <laughs> I will say I have met Robert Jordan before he passed, and he was a nice fellow. So there's that going for him. There but, you go. <laughs> all right, because you know we asked this one when it's a uh, RPG guest. We've got one of your favorite RPG that you didn't publish.
1: Oh, AD&D, without a doubt, Advanced Dungeons yeah. and I actually, so, I actually played AD&D. We published Castles and Crusades in 2005, and I kept playing AD&D until about 2006. Until Mac and Davis, who created Castles and Crusades, who were at, at my table, said, "Look, we can keep playing AD&D, but you absolutely have to play C&C at least once before we're going to. We're just going to quit. We're not going to play with you anymore." So I started playing C&C, and it was it was so very much like Castles and Crusades. I just, did, I mean, it was like AD&D that I just rolled right into it, and I haven't looked back.
0: That's good. Um- the, uh, I started with swords and wizardry, but when he was telling me about the siege engine, at some point, once I get the hang of DMing, uh, we were talking about switching over to that because that, the way the, the siege engine works in your system sounds like it could be fun to play with.
1: Yeah, it's painfully easy. It is so easy. It's it's It actually will take you longer to adjust your playing style and your players into the playing style for using the CG, because it's so versatile. If a lot of people who come from rules heavy, I can't speak for swords and wizardry, but if you come from like third edition or something like that, that are mechanics heavy, it takes you a little while to get out of your head that you don't need feats and all of that stuff that you can try anything. And then whatever the players are doing, whatever craziness that they throw at you, you the, the, the CK has an immediate reaction to it. It takes three, four games to kind of figure that out, I think. And then it, it's just it's just a great game.
0: So my experience with 5e was uh, I went to the Adventuring League at one of the local game shops. And this isn't a, a, a ding at the system. It's more how the Adventuring League was run. But it was so almost scripted that they didn't allow for creativity in the moment. So, like, Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. One of the players was there, and they were fighting in a a basement that had a bunch of keg stands, if you've ever seen them. They're rows of kegs, you know, like in a um, a brewery. And so because the guy they were fighting was OP, the character was like, well, let me hit the support stand and knock over these barrels of beer on them. And then while they're incapacitated, we get the free attack. You would think that actually is creative, and they're using everything around them. Like, no, you can't do that. Why? Because... And so it, it sort of made it hard to get your kids into it when their creativity is not rewarded. So I, I yeah, like that's... systems that sort of foster that because too often they're stuck in uh, in like technology that's telling them what to think and how to think and not letting them think for themselves.
1: Yeah, I ran into that when we, and both of my sons are heavy video game players. And they, when they started playing CNC, it took them a few games to realize that pretty much anything goes. You know, you you don't have to wait for that that wall where you, your plane just disintegrates and your character dies because you went too far, you know, from right, where the right. designers laid it out, or or what have you. And I think that five E, I believe, is probably more versatile than that.
0: Um, that's well, that's kind of nutty to that's me. The, that's, the, that's definitely yeah. the adventure league restrictions, not the system restrictions.
3: And so yeah, I'm not, like I said,
0: I. But it, you know, when you see that in action, it makes you appreciate systems specifically designed to give you the creativity to do the WTF moments that make right. you like I, I didn't see that coming but sure let's go with it
1: I, I watched this this wasn't really a WTF moment but I thought it was a fantastic moment this was years ago I was watching one of the one of the online games and one of the characters I don't know what system they were playing but they they're tracking somebody that's on a horse or something and once they get to town they lose the tracks obviously because of the all of the, the cobbled roads or whatever uh, but the, the player actually was really cool with it he said okay I, I'm going to uh, I think it was a half horse, so I have a, a, an increased sense of smell. I'm going to try to smell the horse. Is there any way that I can pursue the horse, track the horse's scent? You know, since we've been pursuing it for a while, and obviously there's no rule for that. And I'm sitting there going, as, and I'm watching this as a as a GM. I'm thinking, oh, that's 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 a fantastic idea. I would have just let the players run with that. That's just really cool. That's out of the box, the whole nine yards. Yeah. But the GM's like, uh, no, you can't do that. What? what? <laughs> Are you crazy? It's just—I don't know. And that's one of the things that the Siege Engine brings to the table is because now you've it, got a mechanic for it. Just make a check.
2: Yeah, it makes ruling on, on things like that it's just so much easier. You, you slap a, a challenge level on it and an attribute check, and
1: and, and you're done. You and there's no—it can be any attribute. You can pick the attribute. It doesn't matter. Uh, so it's you know it gives a lot of freedom to the CK. And once players kind of start realizing that they can push the boundaries. And let me tell you, I'm running two tables right now. One's people my age that have been gaming with forever in a day, and one's a bunch of young people under the age of 21. And the, <laughs> these young people are absolutely crazy. <laughs> I mean, they will try anything. Because
0: <laughs> so, they don't know which what's is, impossible. So it Exactly, yes. So what is a CK? Is that your term for Dungeon Master, Game Master?
1: Yes, that's the Castle Keeper. I, I wish okay. we had just gone with GM, but we went with CK for some reason. But uh, <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So before we dive too deeply into the games, uh, because we are the Blasters of Blades podcast, we love both the fantastical and the scientific. So what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy?
1: Oh, Fantasy. I don't know. Where does Tarzan fall in that? Fantasy was definitely of the two. I, I was an early Tarzan, Edgar Rice Burroughs reader back in the 70s. But that led I, me I, right into Lynn Carter and, and stuff like that.
0: I've heard compelling arguments for both um, Conan and Edgar Rice Burroughs being both fantasy and sci-fi. And that was back before they got so hung up on those titles where it was just generically right. speculative fiction. So I will just say yes. And we'll go. <laughs> I like it. That works. No doubt.
1: So But yeah, what, fantasy. I actually didn't start reading a lot of sci-fi probably until the late 80s, early 90s, because I had read so much fantasy, I just needed something different. But um, fantasy, definitely.
0: And uh, back then, when most of your reading was libraries, you know, sometimes you clear out the library where you've literally read everything in the genre, and it's just time to branch out.
1: Yep, <laughs> oh, needed something to read.
0: <laughs> so, but I'm old enough that I also remember looking up for looking up books in the Dewey Decimal System before the computers were up. There. I remember that too. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, I perched it from my memory now that I don't have to use it anymore. So, what was your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Was it the Conan, or was there something before it?
1: Uh, so the first book I ever read was a book called Early Bird, and it's about a bird getting a a, a worm. Uh, I, and he befriends the worm. He doesn't want to eat it. I remember that book, but probably the first speculative fiction I read was uh, Call of the Wild. I absolutely loved Call of the Wild. Uh, but Tarzan, The Jewels of Opar," number five. This is going to be about 1974, somewhere around there, 1975, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I remember picking that up. My dad was in the military, so uh, we we got our books at the, hell, what was that called? It wasn't the Four Seasons. Uh, it was the kind of convenience. Store. I can't remember what that thing was called. The PX? Wasn't the PX? It was like the small PX. The shopette. The shopette. Yes. So and and I went in and there was just all these books and I picked up a jewel, the jewels of Opar, number five, and I read it. And I absolutely loved it. And that just sent me back to those stands, you know. Every time I had, they were about a buck and a quarter, I think, in those days, maybe seventy-five cents. Uh, I just scoop up a paperback and and read it, whatever I could get. And and I hadn't even read, I didn't read Tolkien until later. It was. Late 70s, probably when I finally read The Hobbit uh, and probably in early 80s, mid 80s before I read Tolkien. I read just tons of fantasy before Tolkien.
0: So what is it about speculative fiction, the umbrella that includes all the things that you love so much?
1: Well, I think it really, you know, when you when you get into that stuff. It pushes the boundaries of the world that we live in and it it just makes the fantastical come alive. And we all sit around and we daydream or we dream or whatever, wherever it is in your headspace and you you see outside your window and somewhere in our I think that I think we're kind of hardwired as Homo sapiens this way. We're kind of hardwired to look beyond what we see and to, to imagine things. I think that helps us, you know, adapt to the environment, make tools and all that to goop. But um I, I think when you get into when you get into fantasy fiction, and I don't really know what it is, uh, it taps it now. Tarzan, I can tell you, tapped into the primeval. I've always, I've always had this kind of attachment to the primeval world, first through animals called the wild, white Fang, stuff like that. Uh, and so Tarzan played right into that. And I think that fantasy. Once I kind of started reading a bunch of Burroughs stuff, of course, I went from Tarzan to to uh, Barsoom, the the, the the Warlord series, Princess of Mars, Warlord of Mars, and all that. And that kind of introduced me to a whole new genre of of thinking, and I and I think really when when it gets when you get into this fantasy and this this applies for science fiction especially things like Serenity that kind of you know go both sides of it and even includes Western Serenity kind of covers a whole bunch of genres simultaneously. It's a real tragedy they pulled that off the air, but um, when you look at this stuff, it just it allows you. I, I don't really like the term escapism because I don't really consider myself. I don't. I'm not someone who wants to escape reality, but I like to see other realities. I, I like to believe, which I don't know if you can see it, but I have molders. I want to believe on the wall behind me. Uh, I'm a huge fan of wanting to believe that there's something more than we are, you know, that, than we can see or that we can measure or what have you. So fantasy, fantasy fiction just dives right into that easily.
0: Okay so how did your love of speculative fiction sort of writ large transitioning to you writing uh, content in this because you've written some short stories I understand in yeah. uh, the world where your games take place
1: Yeah we we did the uh, I, when I way back in the 80s so this would be late 80s I tried to get published with TSR. I sent a bunch of adventures in about four I think maybe three uh, And in those days when I was working when I was in in college and then post college I, I wrote a bunch of fiction. Some of it uh, literary nonfiction, some of it just fiction, some of it fantasy fiction, and I submitted these to magazines hither and yon. Uh, I never got the only thing I ever got published in those days was actual historical pieces that were not fiction <laughs> at all, which was just bizarre. But then that's kind of led me into a different direction because when I started TLG, I was actually working on my PhD in history. But
0: see, um, I, I like I, I, for a reason. <laughs>
1: yeah, I got a, <laughs> I got a, I got, a, I got a lot of history and fantasy, and it's just <laughs> but. Um, so I, I guess Mac, I had, I had shelved all of that when I was working on my PhD. You know, that takes, you got to do all this other work for that mess. And, uh, and I kind of shelved it all. And then Mac Golden, a very, very good friend of mine, still we're very, very close. Um, he's the guy who co-created the Siege Engine with Davis. He, uh, he created this zine called The Seeker. And we, we were going to Dragon Con in those days, and he started passing this design out. He and a buddy, his Chris, and we helped him pass the design out. And it just had some, you know, cool stuff in it, two-page thing. And then later um, he got kind of fired up. I don't know what, I guess D20 was coming out because he, he was following all of this, the news in the industry. I didn't follow any of, um, I didn't know what was going on. And he, um, he gave me a call and said, hey, dude, let's, let's create a game company. Wizards of the Coast is fixing to open up all this stuff. Let's make some, let's write some adventures and da-da-da-da. And there was a whole bunch of stuff that went into that, um, into that event that kind of created Troller Games. And he, he said, you've got some, let's take some of your old adventures. Uh, I, he really liked them. He edited them for me before I submitted them to get published. And let's take those adventures and kind of clean them up and, and put them out ourselves and go to Gen Con and see what we can do. Uh, we were both, he was just starting into his legal career and I was, you know, had just started in PhD. So it was a perfect time to poke in this direction. And then I started, and we needed, we had, I see, then Davis got involved. So we had three, and this is really what kind of tipped it for me. Um, Davis created one, Matt created one, and I created one. That's so three adventures. But the printer, a Canadian printer called Printy, Print, and Litho, told us if we did four books, then they would give us a huge discount. You know, basically, we could get four for the price of three. And Mac was like, uh, Steve, can you write up your world of Aired? Why don't you take all of these notes that you've been creating for Aired and, and make it, make a world out of it, and let's do a short thing like the old Greyhawk folio uh, and print it. I said, all right, I'll do that. So I wrote that. And that kind of really—that's the first time that I took all of these these mountains of notes and I had I had on this world that we had been playing in forever. It was Greyhawk, and then it evolved into my own world, uh, and I put it into a 24-page. That's probably had that. Oh, I did a 24-page book called the After Winter Dark Fantasy Campaign Setting, and that became my fourth book, and that really kind of launched me in this direction. It sold very, very well, continued to sell, and then I wrote The Codex of Aired after that, and that just kind of unleashed it for me. which was kinda, And then the fiction, of course, once Aired has been around now since 2000, that's when we first released it, and it's got a decent fan base. I mean, we get a lot of requests for fiction, so I started kind of rolling fiction out in, in the last couple of years.
0: I think uh, the hallmark of a good IP is when, whenever – Whatever format it comes, people want more and they want it to branch out into other mediums. So you play as game, man, I'd rather, rather love to read those novels or I'd love to see that movie or play that video game. Like that's a sign that you hook people in your world and that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's and it's very, I mean, it's very flattering that people have really gotten into, into the world of Aired and enjoyed it. Uh, obviously the history, my history background, working on my PhD, all that crap, uh, fed right into, into the world. And when you read it the, like, yeah, when you read the Codex of Aired. Um it's less it, I mean it's mythological, but it's kind of written, you know, from a historical point of view. You know what I mean? Not so much mythological tales as it is history. That first part of the codex can be uh, it can be kind of dense to, <laughs> to, yeah.
2: talk to. I mean, it was great, so, but it, it it was a it was it was quite a read. Yeah. So
0: you <laughs> sort of we 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 gave you the question in advance but sometimes we like to add add ad hoc so you mentioned you got your start writing adventures and just you know submitting them cold to tsr back in the day so do you pay that forward and take submissions if any of your uber fans were like man this is a lot of fun let me write something for this system and send it in do you take those kind of submissions
1: absolutely uh it's it's pretty simple there's we got something on the website somewhere on the website it you know how to submit and you just all you have to do is introductory letter, letter, letter what you want to write, what you're thinking about. And if it's like it's an adventure, kind of map it out for us. And then three pages of content so that we know that you that you can write, you know, that it's not you know, what it's, it's, it's a decent, ride. That's
0: right. So many creative types will let their own real life uh, experiences influence the stories they tell. So are there any formidable moments that you think shape the way you produce content?
1: Uh, I think probably the the largest impact To the two largest impacts is my interaction with people. Uh, i've had I've had a lot of jobs over the years <laughs> a lot of jobs. I, think, I think my record was twenty four jobs in one summer. It was absolutely. Wow.
0: <laughs> Ludicrous! Did <laughs> you would getting quit. fired because you were having fun, or no? I just I would just
1: quit. It was there was so I'm just I would go get I'm a job. I'm bored. I'm moving on. Yeah, I remember once <laughs> I worked at Red Lobster. I was a junior cook. I got hired to be a junior cook at Red Lobster, and man, the the head chef guy was just screaming at me constantly, like all Friday night, all Saturday night, and suddenly I was like, ah, to hell with this, I'm not going in. And he called. I remember I was in, I was in the bathtub when he called, and I answered. and He said, Hey, your shift has begun. I said, Nah, I'm quitting. Why you couldn't? My eh, feet hurt. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Went pick one. I don't care. Whatever. And that ended when I joined the army. But uh, yes. Yeah, so so I, when I was having that number of jobs and that different type of jobs, I was a photographer for a little while. I did a dead collection for a while. I mean, it's just all kinds of goofy crap. I managed Amasio. It's, it's just whatever, whoever would hire me, I would go do it. But uh, you meet a lot of interesting people right? I mean, there's, there's so many, everyone out there has their own story and their own background and their own interactions and their own experiences. And you don't get that in just kind of an everyday, you know, even with friendships, sometimes you don't get it, but when you're really strangers thrown together just for a little while, there's sometimes you, these quirks come out you can see, I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. So I've always enjoyed people watching and kind of learning a little bit about people. So when you're in my games or the stuff that I write, NPCs play an absolutely gigantic role uh, as they do in the stuff like that when I'm writing content for it. And then the second thing is whether I'm uh, I've, I follow this uh, Ferdinand Bradel's school of history that begins with terrain language and so forth and so on. So the, the environment within which people live uh, shapes the way you communicate which shapes the way you think which shapes the way your cultures develop and all of that stuff so i'm very aware of when i'm writing i'm I'm very aware of if there's a ridge line here that this tribal group's going to be impacted by that ridgeline itself so probably terrain and weather is the next thing that kind of rolls into it
0: so the if then this then what cycle that sometimes people shortcut and skip and then it shows so you mentioned that you were in the army already so we ask all of the veterans this, but how do you feel like your time in uniform affects the way you uh, tell stories through your games?
1: Uh, well, def- definitely the, my time in the army had a huge impact on me. I, I joined up. Uh, I remember again, a lot of my, a lot of my life's moments occur in the bathtub. I enjoy a good <laughs> bath- <laughs> So I was laying in the bathtub. We had just begun sending troops, first Gulf War sending, sending troops over there. Uh, Sodom was still in Kuwait. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the paper. And I, I don't know what job I was working at the time, God knows what. It was during that summer. And uh, there's these there's these guys in the 82nd Airborne Division that are deploying. And I'm like, what What am I doing? So I le- I, I folded the paper up, got out, drove down the recruiting station, joined the Army. <laughs> That's what I did that. So, uh, and then, but then the Gulf War ended before I got out of training. So I ended up going to Hawaii, and I spent – two and a half years, uh, the rest of my, you know, my three years in, I spent in, in Hawaii at Schofield Barracks. Um, and it was, I don't know, it was, it was a, it was a great time. I absolutely loved it. The people you meet talking about characters that you meet, the army's absolutely filled with characters. I mean, it's just, it was just really cool. But I think that the way that impacts my, and it impacted my studies and when I was in school too, is the ways armies actually logistics, how important logistics is and important supply is, uh, and again, how much terrain factors into, I think I was talking about on my stream today, how insanely difficult it is to actually cross a river. And so things when I was in the Army, all of that was brought home, you know, in in force. So that, from that experience is what, was what really kind of relates over and into my, into my writing.
0: So normally we ask if you draw on people you serve with in the military, when you create like when you write characters in your novels but you you almost leave so much of character generation up to the individual players because you're creating the template for the play but do you ever uh let them the the personalities of the people you knew factor into some of the maybe the the pre-generated stuff or the npcs or any of that stuff
1: i I probably did in the early days Uh, i don't do that too often i always i mean i'll take quirks and and like there was the first when i first got assigned to 125th transportation, whatever, headquarters unit, whatever there in Hawaii, the the guy that was put in charge of mm-hmm. me, cannot remember his name. He was a, an E4. And he went down to show me how to, you know, PM, PMCS. Is that the right word? Man, has yeah, been Yeah. The, the truck and he gets on the little rolling cart thing and he goes under the deuce and a half and he's, and I'm standing there and he's talking for a minute and he goes quiet as he's doing whatever he's doing. And I, I, so his boots are sticking out and straight up. And after like a minute of him being quiet, the boots just kind of go to the side real slow. And I thought, what? Did? and I looked under it and he's sound asleep.
0: <laughs> I thought, no, no look, I've used that maneuver myself. Yeah, it was awesome.
1: So stuff like that definitely, definitely just swings into my, when I'm creating stuff.
0: If you hadn't have told me he was an E4, I'd have known just by that. <laughs> <laughs> specialist on a specialist. So yep. <laughs> does your time in um, in uniform affect the way you engage with content as a readers? You hated it a, a little bit when you said you, you began to appreciate just what was involved in crossing certain terrain features, but does it otherwise affect the way you engage with content? Uh, what do you mean? So like, uh, you know, the first questions were how your military service affects the way you create stuff. The, the, this one is more asking, flipping it from the side, because obviously, if you you're not just a creator, you read the stories, you uh, watch the movies, you know, you play the games. Does it affect the way you engage with content from the consumer angle?
1: Uh, well, it's the logistics side of that thing. You know, Troller Games is a, a pretty active company. So having been attached to I was in the 45th Support Group, attached to 25th Trans. What the hell is transportation? 100, I can't remember all that. But anyways, uh, I dated a girl from the supply side. So I, I remember. So I just remember the supply side of things quite a bit. Uh, and I think that definitely has played into the way I organize uh, how we order uh, all of this. You know, keeping, man, with a print shop, we've got paper, glue, spare parts for all three pieces of equipment, the cutter and the binder, uh, everything. So it, it keeping stuff supplied, especially in today's current, uh, definitely, I picked up what I picked up in the in the service. Definitely plays into the way, and I organize my space. Uh, I like my space organized so that I, I've got kind of command of what's going on. I don't like disorder around me. Uh, things get things things get, and I definitely learned of this, or it was reinforced in the army. Things get out of hand very quickly, uh, even if you don't do anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's best to try to control it in the beginning if you possibly can.
0: So, do they ever like your employees ever mess with you and like just move your stuff around just to to see your head flip a gasket? <laughs> no,
1: it, it 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 pretty much irritates me. <laughs> so, but now it's on the flip of that. So, Mark Sandy. Now he's he's left the company. Uh, he ran the print shop for like ten years. A good friend of mine. But I didn't get into Mark's space. Mark produced what he was supposed to produce. You know, on time, it, he did a fantastic job. He just got burned out, you know, uh, printing and binding and, and manufacturing books. Uh, but if you, man, I could not stand going into that print shop. There was crap everywhere. Uh, he wouldn't throw anything away, scrap of, and, we, and you know, there's a lot of scrap. So he wouldn't throw that stuff away. There was just pile. I might be able to use that on something. Ugh, no, you won't, but, but I'm not going to throw it away. So they didn't really, they don't really mess with my space. And, Chuck does a little bit now. Chuck Chuck messes with me a little bit, but uh, Chuck. And, and yeah, Chuck, <laughs> uh, and and Mark, uh, I just didn't mess with Mark. So we we found this nice equilibrium. When he did leave the company, though, I went out there and cleaned house. <laughs> I, mean, was, I just <laughs> threw so much stuff away.
0: <laughs> Recycled, of course.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, well, yeah, it's paper, so it's easy to recycle. You throw it in and then haul it off. <laughs>
2: Well, uh, since this is a sort of a unique interview for the podcast, and since we're interviewing the creator of a small indie game company, uh, can you tell us exactly and tell our uh, viewers what the Total War Games publishes? Uh,
1: so our primary product is Castles and Crusades. Castles and Crusades is a fantasy role-playing game powered by what we call the Siege Engine, and that's an attribute-check system. Uh, and it's extraordinarily simple to use and learn, and it, it powers... Uh, all of the flagship products, and that includes the Player's Handbook, the Castle Keeper's Guide, the Monsters and Treasure. It includes a whole series of hardback books on world mythos, Codex Lavorum, Codex Keltarum. What are the other ones? There's Classicum. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. There's six or seven of them. Uh, and then we've got a whole line of support books that go with Castles and Crusades as well. The Adventurer's Backpack, Home of the Unclean. There's a whole bunch of stuff. And then about 100, 100 adventures, I guess, somewhere out right in there. Secondly, we publish uh, Amazing Adventures, which is uses the Siege engine as well. And that's a modern multi genre game. So anything else that's not fantasy falls into the Amazing Adventures. It has a Star Siege component, a horror component, you know, all this other stuff uh, that goes with that. And then we support Fifth Edition as well. We've got a line of adventures with Fifth Edition, and that's the Kickstarter we're doing now. We've got uh, a, an adventure path that we've got on Kickstarter. And then beyond that, we do fiction. And a variety of smaller things, uh support books, stuff like that.
0: So for, for those listening who are just from the, the nerdy reading side and we love you too, but the 5e he's referring to is 5e Dungeons and Dragons. So when you hear 5e, he's short shorthanding that. So and uh if you if you're into to reading the fantasy, it can be fun to play the characters yourself. So give gaming a try.
2: Yeah. And on that note, let's talk about fifth edition and the Un- undying war Kickstarter. Uh so where did you get the premise for the, the universe of Aired? and
1: I mean, how'd you come up with the setting? So Aired Ered is our, is our setting. That's the lands of Ursel behind me on the map that the Codex of Aired covers. Uh, we started, I started playing back in 76, 1976 and somewhere in the 80 or 79 or whatever it was, Davis picked up the World of Greyhawk Folio, which is this small one book, two map uh, folder edition of the World of Greyhawk Fell in love with it immediately, began playing World of Greyhawk, played that forever and a day. Um, when I joined the army, uh, this was when I joined the army, it was before we knew the war would end so fast. So no one knew it was going to happen. So we we ended our 10-year game. We said, Okay, we're just gonna stop here. The game is over, you know, move on. And I ended it in this kind of apocalyptic moment, uh, when this dark god is summoned to the world and all that. Well, fast forward six months, and I'm in. I'm in Hawaii sitting on the beach <laughs> you know, doing absolutely <laughs> nothing. Uh, and uh, I started writing. I started to take this world that we, the Greyhawk, the content that we had created in Greyhawk and create my own world. I first wrote a, a novel about it. Um, I can't remember the name of this, The Undying Song, I think, something like that. Um, and it's it was essentially, I took the dark god and made a story around him and created this whole kind of this narrative. It's not the undying. I can't remember what that thing's called. Um, and I created this whole narrative story. And then from that, I thought, you know, this is, I need to, there, were, we, there was no email. So we were sending letters back and forth. I need to get the game started again. I'm going to be out in a few years. Uh, we can start doing this. So I essentially it advanced time, a thousand years from when the characters ended uh, and they could st- they're going to be able to play their same characters because they were in a various states of, you know, resurrection or whatever. There was a whole storyline that went into that stuff, um, and I wrote a, a bunch of letters to these guys, to my players. And This is the way the world's evolved. This is what this is. This and that left Greyhawk completely behind, and that's where this world really began to form and take shape. And then we played in that world. Once I got out of the service in '93, we we played in that world for six, seven years. When and when we started the company in '99, I had this really formed world with maps and you know societies and and all of this other mess. Um, And that's when Max said, hey, let, we need a fourth book. So I created the fourth book uh, for our, our first printing job. And that was the world of Aired when it first actually became uh, when it came to print. So when you talk about your earlier questions about what kind of went into my fantasy creation and all of that fantasy that I had been reading and a little bit of sci fi, but mostly fantasy since the early 70s and through the 80s and into the 90s all of this stuff is germinating and it's given me ideas and it's opened up, you know, whole avenues of thought and, and conceptualized fairies and magic and, you know, all kinds of stuff, dwarves, elves, all all of it. And it began to kind of, and all of that, I began to coalesce and spill into the world. Uh, so, so then the, the world of Ered was born uh, when the, the little book, the little 24 page book sold so well, we needed a bigger book. And again, we had a, we had a, a contract with a printer if we sent two hard covers at the same time we'd get a, a discount and we were doing gary gygax's canting crew so we did we took my stuff and i wrote the codex of air which is in its present form now uh and then we we, we rolled those out so that that created the world of air and in the world of air um there's a section so i do not want to go into the whole history of it i could i could ramble about that for a while but there was a period in Aired where this the Empire of Anach existed and it controlled most of the world. Well, that was destroyed by the Dark God, uh, and then when the Dark Gods overthrown and thrown out, this small little remnant of people that are Anochians create w- what they call New Anach, and these and this is where this is on the map over here, and this is kind of this, the remnants of this ancient civilization that has survived the reign the thousand year reign of the Dark God. Well, right in there is this. It's it's really right for adventure. It's designed for the Empress is what she's called. She has a very tiny empire, but she's called the Empress. Uh, she's called for crusades for any kind of adventurers to come over and reconquer her kingdom. That's the whole thing, you know. Everyone come here if you fight for the Empress, you'll get you'll get to own your own land, swear fealty, move on, and the hopes being to create this this empire. And that's what kind of fuels this region. Which is just south of the main tower, where the Dark God ruled, where Blacktooth Ridge is. Now, so all of that's in Column A and in Column B. When we did Castles and Crusades in two thousand and six, two thousand and five, for released in four and officially released in five, um, Davis wrote, and we needed an adventure for it. And I was managing the company at the time. Mac had left, so we needed an adventure. So Davis wrote Assault on Blacktooth Ridge which is A1. And that takes place in Un- New Anach, just south of the Dark Tower. Uh, and then we needed a series. So he, st- he wrote A2, A3, A4, and this took a few years. By the time he wrote A3, he really began to formulate this larger epic campaign uh, that involves Alstrag and the Dark God trying to come back from, you know, the Void and all this other stuff. And that played into, I took over the series at A10, I think. He wrote about half of A10 and I wrote the rest of it and then A11, A12. Uh, and all of that played into what is now the undying war. this it begins very simply with your characters not knowing what's going on you're you're just adventuring, you're just looking to gain land or wealth or whatever and by you know chapter three or chapter four, you're getting embroiled in this larger conflict that's going on and on that note, uh tell us a
2: little bit more about uh the Kickstarter itself, what's your uh what your goal is and the the challenges the challenges you're, you're looking at converting it from C and C to fifth edition.
1: So fifth edition, I didn't I I did not get a good grasp on five E when we began publishing it. Uh, we we were deeply involved in castles and crusades, uh, and we we got into fifth edition, and I didn't take the time to sit down and kind of really study the approach Wizard of the Coast was taking with this game, and more importantly the approach that players were adopting to. So we released a whole bunch of adventures, which included the A-series and single adventures, just like, you know, was done back in the 1980s. Um, and not until about a year ago, year and a half ago, when I got on TikTok and I started following a lot of 5e TikTokers uh, and watching how they play and and what they're doing, I'm thinking, oh, we're, we're actually we're formatting our books wrong for these for these guys they're gaming a little bit differently than i do which is fantastic and it's great uh you know it's it's a gigantic tent everybody you game however you want to game there's no wrong way or <laughs> right way to game it's it's crazy to me to think that but but i began to look and they they these uh, a lot of these groups were running these adventure paths for like a year or two years and then they're done. And then they start another one with a different group, uh, different players or whatever. And I thought, no, this is really cool. This is very different than the way I do it. Uh, and we need to revisit some of the stuff that we're doing for fifth edition. Well, this dovetailed with uh, a, an extraordinarily ever-growing aggravation I've had over the past decade with our maps. Uh, the maps are all over the board. Just You can see Peter Bradley's done most of them. You can see his style changing as he <laughs> would change stuff mm-hmm. mid-stride. So in like A1, you've got this type of map. And in A7, you've got this type of map. Um, And he and I never got a real good control over that. Um, So that I was getting, Chuck and I were working hard on getting that managed uh, when I decided, you know, we need to revisit. We need to revisit the A series. It's a fantastic series. um, That is one of the things we didn't push. There's a romance involved with this series. There's epic play involved with this series. There's so many things that weren't pushed in the smaller books because it's kind of um, it, the way I play, it's kind of, you do whatever you want. You kind of, you don't need. It's, yeah.
2: it's kind of more of a sandbox approach. Yeah. My yeah. familiar, I'm not that familiar with 5e, but it seems to me the adventure paths are a little more structured versus like, I just got uh, two or more of the A series oh, yeah. boxes today. And, <laughs> and, and I love them, but I see the, the, the approach difference. It's like, you know, Here's the setting. Here's some NPCs. Here's their goals. Here's some encounters. Have fun.
1: Yeah, that that's exactly what it is. Um, and and, if, and I'm not in any way criticizing. I think it's great. Uh, I have played many sandbox and many yeah. what are they when they structured very structured adventures. So yeah. either way, it's cool. And I have to tell you, um, we're running. I'm running a game now. I've been running it since 06, and they've just made it to 15th level. And this is this is 10 years or whatever. 14. It's ridiculous. We need to play some different characters. <laughs> because, yeah. I'm kind of in that position too. Yeah. So, in a way, the adventure paths are kind of cool. You play it, you're done. Do another one. You know. So this. So I really like the concept of it. But the way the A series was presented uh, originally in Five E and even in C&C, it's not built this way at all. Um, it's really built for the sandbox approach. You're going to take it, run with it, and kind of weave your own thematic stuff into it, and so forth, and so on. Um, so what I'm going to do, I've already begun in this, in the, the undying war, which is a zero through a 12. I'm going to go in and structure it. I'm going to lay out the actual adventure path, you know, with Coburg, the romance, the vessel of souls, the lady of Garoon, all of that stuff. So that, this, that the DM can actually see, oh, okay, this is the arc yeah. that, that we're doing here. Now what they do with it is, you know, go, but uh that that's the real plan there and then bring in new maps a whole new art the whole thing
0: so speaking of art before uh we do that i am going to show the cover art for this uh so how did you come up with this art style it definitely um looks a lot like you know a modern artistic take on what we saw from some of the original gaming content with the style of the image but how did you how did you come to this as your as your cover
1: so this this is a piece by zoe devos um and when i work with zoe it is uh it's just a pure pleasure now i i what i do with all the artists there's three main artists that we work with and a few ancillary but it's uh, jason walton peter bradley and and zoe devos and i'm pretty open you know i'll just say i need i need a knight on a staircase i need some kind of i need a battle scene or whatever and I and I let them go. I I, I have so rarely it's got to be less than less than five or six images that I have rejected and said this isn't. I need something different, because uh, I found when you let an artist go, like in this case Zoe, when you let them go, they just their imagination is ever a bit as vibrant as ours. And if you don't restrict it, you you I in my experience you tend to get something a little bit freer, a little bit more epic. And when Zoe s- sent me this piece, over, I was like, oh my. Oh, my God, this is absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's got this understated realism in it that it, I just feel like when I'm looking at, at Zoe's art, it's I don't know. It's like almost like not a photograph, but it's something real that, that I'm a part of. It's not just fantasy art. Um, so this became the cover for The Undying War. We actually I had commissioned it uh, from Zoe for something else. I can't remember what. Um, but that project fell through so it had been sitting in my unused covers folder for a while uh, and then when i started formulating the idea of the adventure path oh i was thinking oh my god i gotta get i gotta get zoe's piece out because this is absolutely perfect for it uh, and then she's Zoe's the one that is doing the whole book all of the art and jason will be doing some of it but uh, zoe's hands going to be on on all the art throughout the book
0: all right. And so before we dive two more uh, too deeply into the, the Kickstarter and the Undying War, we're going to take a moment and uh, shamelessly shill for the man.
3: Through murder, through treachery, he rose. You trusted him. All wished his demise. Reckless and cruel, loved through hate. Coburg the Undying High Lord of alfstra he longed for more for power or love but she was gone taken from him but he would have it all power and his love and the world his yoke and his war the road to hell begins with the first step the undying war a 5th edition adventure path for 1st through 13th level characters that brings an evolving storyline to your table. Pulling your adventures into an epic tale, they will journey over land, through dungeons, towns, castles, and even to other planes of existence. With countless NPCs and endless hours of play, immerse yourself and your players in the world of Erd and Coburg's Undying War. Your journey begins in the simple town of Botkenberg and ends before the gates of hell, from Monsters More mundane to Beasts of Legend. The Undying War, live on Kickstarter. Pledge today and join us at the table. Trollord Games, join the fray.
2: Chuck did a good job with that video.
1: He did. Chuck's got a beautiful voice, and he did a fantastic job with that video.
0: I like the ending where you got the rock coming down. That was yeah. that was kind of nice. I love that part. I
1: absolutely. I, I could
0: have. You could have almost cut right before that when he said "join the fray." You could have cut it there. Yeah. And I thought about it, but I'm like, that rock is just too cool." I know I'm a nerd, but it just, <laughs> I had to leave it. A <laughs> rock nerd, JR. <laughs> uh, it's geology, man. Geology rocks. So, That's right. Oh God!
2: <laughs> Remind me to the duck 500
0: XP if you ever play with me again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so we were uh, we were talking in the pre-show, Sparky and I, while we were getting everything set up, and he mentioned that you guys do something a little bit special for active and former military. So, can you elaborate on what uh, what Troll Lord Games does for for veterans and, and active duty people?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we offer a flat 50% discount for anything in the store. All you have to do is reach out. Um, we actually got a bot system that, that will help this. A lot of veterans have reached out and they'll, they'll send their 214 to us. And I don't, they don't need to send that. We, you know, we just, we have a few very simple questions. Uh, I'm just, I'm suspicious enough about all things that that document doesn't need to be floating around anywhere. Yeah, It, it just makes me a little nervous. But we have a few very simple questions uh, for active duty and it's Coast Guard, Marines, Army, Air Force, Navy, uh, U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand and Western Europe. And just reach out to us and it's you it will you ask you these questions and you'll get this automatic discount code and you get 50 percent off anything you order from the from the store. It's not much. We can't do a lot. I know that veterans are suffering, you know, tremendously all over the country uh, going through a, a hellacious time and we can't do much for that. Um, But we hope that helps a little bit. And then alternatively, if you are part of or know of any veterans organization that's helping veterans deal with PTSD or whatever it is, or just even veteran clubs or clubs on base or on an aircraft carrier, wherever you happen to are, uh, give us a shout. We'll ship you books. Uh, When we had when there was when we were active over in Afghanistan and Iraq, the policy was all you had to do was send us an email and we'll send your unit a whole bunch of game books to play free of charge. We cover the shipping, the whole nine yards. Yeah, so we did that quite a bit. Uh, and we, we obviously we're not as active uh, bouncing around. I know we are in places. So uh, just give us a shout. We will we'll we will try to take care of you as best we can.
0: So on that vein, and this is, uh, I didn't see anything on your website about it, but if somebody, because we've got a lot of people that like to support the military and they don't always know how, and this right, was a the way right. they wanted to, is there any way they could do some sort of like, uh, I would like to, sponsor somebody so you can send something to a veteran or an active unit is that an option oh we, we, you know that's
1: that's not written out there but that'd be fantastic we, we would we would more than happily do that if someone reached out and said hey i would like to, to do x we'd be more than happy to do that we, we'll work with just about anybody who's you know legitimately trying to help veterans uh weather the mess that they're going through so we, we're, we're more than happy to do something like that Okay. And, I, and I don't want to, I don't want to sit here and, and disparage they, all the veterans are going through a mess. They aren't, you know, my father was uh, a Vietnam veteran and I'm a veteran and my brothers, both of them served uh, But uh, some, some had, you know, different experiences and different outcomes. So uh, it's, it's all over the spectrum. So we, we do whatever we can.
0: So now we're going to focus fo- wholly on the 5e Kickstarter because that's what you got running at the moment. Um, what all? I mean, obviously, Kickstarters allow you to back at several levels uh, from just a simple PD for just a simple, hey, I'm supporting you and it's not enough to buy a book, but I just want to throw some money to, you know, I buy all the things plus all the swag. So what what levels are um, available for people if they wanted to participate? And obviously, the link will be in the show notes, dear listener.
1: Uh, so the easiest level is the digital level where you just get a digital copy of the book. I think that's 19 bucks or 15 bucks. The book itself will be about 350 pages, full color. Uh, give or take with this slew of of maps Uh, if you just if you've already purchased this stuff and you don't want the new stuff there's a map level that you can just buy the maps and then i think that's where sparky is yeah (laughs) Uh, actually
2: i I kicked in for the 5e one because i want to see the art and what you've done with it so okay i like this
1: that's well thank you but that art's amazing (laughs) i got it zoe's just knocking it through the park jason too Uh, And from there we go to just the book and the PDF. And I think that one's 60 bucks for the two of them. The book will retail at $59.99. So that's essentially you're getting the PDF for free uh, at that level. And then the $99 level has all of that plus a lot of content from this world map you see on the back behind. So so the, the adventure path itself takes you from... Uh, this the Drunberry River up to the Hruson River to Botkinburg and then across the Blighted Screed and up the Imperial Highway through the swamp to Grafica. Down the, you know, it's a long journey. Uh, a long, long journey. And there's lots of terrain features along the way. So the $99 level comes with two more books that cover all of these terrain features with adventure hooks and all kinds of stuff in case your characters wander off the path you know, and do, <laughs> do whatever players are always doing. It's everybody's game. <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, yeah, my controlled
1: by cucumbers, for example. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. As you do. <laughs> As happens occasionally. Uh so yeah, then there's that. And then the next level, I think, has the fifth edition Monsters and Treasures of Aired, uh, that we that we've previously published. And then the last one has all of that, plus a nice leather version of the book for the collectors out there.
0: Okay. And there's a re-
1: there's a retailer level as well. If you have a retail shop, there's a level for that too.
0: So for people that just like you know all the pretty art posters and such, and they have room, is that something that uh, will be available for sale at some point? Some of the the graphics, because I could see some of your covers would make awesome posters on a wall too.
1: Yes, we actually work with Noble Dwarf, a great company, uh, and these guys do really cool. They'll do just kind of like regular posters i 've got one to order i haven't got it yet but they also have canvas so like you can get some of our books in a canvas print which is really really oh, nice and they do look not but they
0: yeah do they're nice. just
1: amazing and they'll do them wall size they'll do it it's like 12 by 18 and then a bigger one then it is wall size madness but uh, it's, it's really cool and then they do coffee mugs and you know all that other stuff um and we've been working there for about a year so we got most of it and as this art becomes available we'll start feeding it in that direction so people can kind of build their own and what have you um, yeah, it's cause it's really good art. I, I, I will, I am guilty as a publisher and we've gotten a little bit of flack about this over the years. I'll re recycle art a lot. Uh, cause I know that you, you Peter does this fantastic piece for a book that sells 278 copies. And then for whatever reason, it just dies. Well, that piece of art doesn't need to die. I pull it, <laughs> put it in another book and people can enjoy it there as well.
0: No, I, I get that. Like, just from an artistic standpoint when you have something that you are really proud of you know you definitely want people to look at it or read it or whatever so like i i totally understand when like you know that kind of stuff happens you see a lot of that with people that write short content like they might write right. something for an anthology and the anthology might flop but they're like man i really love my story i want people to read it like this is the same principle so i, I definitely yeah. get it yeah so, and there's no
1: reason for it to just languish you know gone forever that's just that's nutty.
0: Absolutely. So does the 5e system support uh, miniatures for people that prefer to play that way?
1: Yes. Uh, And we're actually working on a VTT pledge level uh, stretch reward on this one. But yeah, so there'll be miniatures are easy to integrate with this. Just about any kind of
0: content. you got my attention. Uh, So (laughs) what's a VTT for people that don't know? Uh,
1: So that's virtual tabletop. I'm kind of new to it myself. (laughs) Chuck has been giving me a crash course on all of this stuff for about a year now. And there's several venues. So it's basically when you're playing online uh, and you have like maps in front of you and you can move tokens around on a map and stuff like that. It's it's pretty cool. Like Roll20, you got light. If you have your torch on it, it only lights parts of the map that your torch would cover. I'm sure they all do that, but it's it's just kind of cool stuff. And we're pretty active on Fantasy Grounds, which is one of the companies we're working on Roll20. Should have that in the next few weeks uh, active. And then uh, there's Shard and there's another one in mean, the Foundry we're working with as well so we're hoping to kind of round all of this off in the next week or so
0: so be Chuck that and I I's
1: tomorrow morning meeting
0: <laughs> so <laughs> what about like the actual plastic crack that people who actually like are playing in person uh is that an option as well
1: we don't have that built into this kickstarter but i always i always we're very good friends with the folks over at reaper uh they're just very good people we for years and years and years we haven't in the last year or two since covet really but uh, we would send them boxes of books we published and they would send us boxes of miniatures that they made. So it was this, it was this nice relationship. Yeah, it was very nice. Um, so yeah, we always send people to, to people to read to Reaper. And I know that Davis uh, who does a lot of writing for us and he wrote a lot of the undying war, um, he is a gigantic Reaper fan. He's the one that started that whole trade back <laughs> back in like two thousand and one <laughs> or something. Uh, Does that mean dude, he has
2: all the he gets all the minis and, and, oh, yes. and you're never going to see he's any of
0: them?
1: He's <laughs> got so many miniatures. and he, he's a good painter. And he painted for the longest while, but he hadn't painted forever. So like he got bones, I think bones, bones two, mm-hmm. uh, those those Reaper kickstarters, and they're just they're just in boxes, half put together, <laughs> 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 like we all said.
0: He just needs more steam in that engine. It will work fine in a few weeks, I'm sure. So, the um for the maps, like what level of detail of the maps are there? Is it just the generic world map, like what we see behind you? Are there actual like environmental and terrain maps for like the dungeon or the, the castle or what have you?
1: So that's the really nice thing about what we're doing now. And it's, when we we the whole companies, all of our products are going through this transition. The A series is just getting it at the moment. We used to do just kind of the generic. Here's your room, you know, like the maps from the AD&D days. Here's your room. Here's the tunnel. Here's the hallway. What have you? Uh, and then you read the room description to see what's in it. No, you really can't do that on VTT. They kind of need to know if there's a, a wheelbarrow in there. They need to know so that they're as they move their token around, they're going to bump into it or what have you. Um, so Bill Edmonds, we hired him about six months ago, and Bill has been overhauling the entire A series maps and he's putting that level of detail in there if there's a brazier in the room it's in the map uh so he's putting all the beds all of that stuff in the room uh, it's not like completely 3d but it's got all of that content in there that, that it makes it almost feel that way his his maps are absolutely astounding
0: we have so, one i
1: think up on the, the kickstarter
0: yeah, I saw that. That's why, why I asked because I thought it'd be nice to talk about. So with the, the virtual tabletops, with the VTTs, if you have the the brazier or the sconce or whatever that would emit light, does that factor that in as far as what portions of the rooms are revealed?
1: I'm I'm going to guess yes, but
0: that <laughs> don't know. You, you, you uh, use a lot of those. Uh, I
2: use Foundry. In my case, I'll have to manually enter the uh, light source, but it's not a big deal. I know now it might be different for uh, fantasy grounds and some others. Cause some of them, I, I know some of the maps can be done where, where that stuff is automatically factored in and it's, it's literally uh, plug and play, but uh, knowing where the actual light source are, are supposed to be on the map is very helpful. Cause you, when you're sitting there setting the maps up, you don't have to go and like, okay, I, uh, where's a logical place for a torch? Where's a logical, it, right. you just like, okay, I see a picture of a, of a, of a lantern there. I'm slapping a, a 20 foot radius or you know whatever
0: on it and calling it good. Yeah. And so it, one of the things I noticed about a lot of the game content out there is someone who was looking. So I came to this crazy thing. My, my son had been into uh, a medical facility, getting treatment for, for one of his health issues in the, one of the staff had started playing with him and it was just a made up game ad hoc. Like I imagine most of the first games were like, it was a mesh yeah. of everything you could think of from submachine guns to wizards with swords. Right. And so he yes, came yes. back to me and he said, daddy, I like this. I really want to do this. Uh, and so I started looking around and there, there's a, there's a lot of people that want to play. Not a lot of people that want a dungeon master. So that's the first <laughs> general barrier to entry. Right? Uh, right. And So I'm like, well, I'll just learn a dungeon master so I can do it with the kids and, you know, bonding, whatever. And it's, it's, Therapists will tell you it's really good for kids on the spectrum. Um, it helps them learn oh, to uh, to be empathetic and sympathetic to other people. It actually is a whole range of um, thought that uses these as social stories and, and, and therapy. Um, and so I was like, I'll just learn to do it myself. So I started reading a lot of these manuals and I noticed they're written on the assumption that you already know what the heck you're doing. Yes. And, and, and I ran into that a lot. Just like cookbooks when you're starting to learn to cook. Like all of them assume like you know you know all these this lingo right like you're coming in with this base of knowledge right. and not many of them are set up for like I literally just decided this sounds cool let me try so are your books with troll games and more specifically like this um 5e kickstarter the undying war are they sort of set up where they're friendly for a new uh player that wants to dive in and this would be their first foyer into tabletops
1: they are but probably not nearly as enough as they need to be so if you get in the player's handbook the last part of the player's handbook um is kind of a how-to section it, it talks about styles of play uh, how to get started it gives you an example of play and stuff like that but uh, i think i really do think you know i've played this game forever and just a perfect story of, of how i got started is exactly what you're talking about because We got when we first got exposed to Dungeons and Dragons, it's going to be like 1975 or six, somewhere around in there. Uh, My dad was in the service and one of his soldiers was going on a hardship tour to Korea. So we had to get rid of everything. And he had these five or six or whatever it is, little brown books, D&D books that he had to get rid of. And he gave them to my mother. Now, I I remember this exchange. I was in the parking lot when it happened and she gave them. She went on to give these books to Davis as a Christmas or birthday gift. I can't remember which one. Um, because Davis and I did a whole lot of war gaming. We played a lot of Avalon Hill games in those days. Uh, I was like 10 when I was doing all that 10 or nine or whatever. And uh, so I asked Davis not long ago, I said, I don't actually remember. I, st- I thought we started in 76 or 77. I don't really remember when we started. When did this all this, this happen? He goes, well, mom gave me the books in 75 or whatever year it was. And I looked at him and I had no idea what any of this meant. So I put him in the closet. <laughs>
0: and there they. <laughs>
1: or six months. <laughs> and and I think he had read something in either Epic or heavy metal or dragon magazine, something, I don't know, somewhere in the, you know, in that space of time, he read something or he, maybe he pulled it out and thought about it and began to study it. And then he, he rolled up a bunch of characters and gave me these six characters and said, name these guys. and The first one I named was Tarzan. Um, and then we started, we started playing. So the, the barrier is pretty, I think it's not intuitive. Let's put it that way. I don't think it's that intuitive.
2: I have to wonder if it's like a, a, a game designer, if it, you know, it, game designers, usually, they're going to have all this experience years and years of, of running games. And I would imagine it's kind of difficult to get back on the level of making it understandable for new because my God, that's you not 20, 30 years ago or longer for some people. It's kind of like in the early days of computing, we had, you know, these thick manuals that, that told you how to run early Windows and DOS and it was just. Over the heads of most people. That's why right. you know, there. Uh, uh, Books for Dummies was a, a multi-million dollar industry for 20 years yeah. Yeah. until the internet, you know, came along. And that's something I I, I always think about when if I'm trying to, to to teach someone to play, I'm like, okay, where was I at this point? Granted, right, I, it wasn't that long ago for me. Uh, my experience is pretty short, but still, it's it's hard to. I, I think it's kind of hard to put yourself back in those positions
1: it it is it's fine and because i didn't start davis started running the game you know when i started running the game in 81 or 80 or whatever the hell that was i knew how to do it because i've been playing under him Mm -hmm. for four years you know so for me it was it was an easy transition um much much like my army career. It was just kind of easy <laughs> it worked out for
2: me. We've well, had all uh, these other jobs. So, I mean, you have a, a little bit of here and there <laughs> and like, oh, is, it'll all work out. But
1: uh, one of the, the most recently, I would say in the last year, the, the question I get asked the most on my Twitch streams or in emails or wherever is uh, how do you start world building, which is essentially how do you start to run a game? That's essentially what that question is. And I think that young players today, are they actually have it tougher than we did. We kind of were going at it back in the 70's. We come, and go, we didn't know what. There's no doing it wrong. Because it's just you and your buddies, right? <laughs> no one's going to yeah. tell you that's how you don't, you're whatever. There's no, there wasn't any preconceived notions about
2: it. There were
0: no stuff. games lawyers, is what he's saying. Yeah, there's <laughs> no <laughs> or lawyers
1: or
2: of- other things yeah. that we do not want, subjects we don't want to get into.
1: Yeah, and there's none of it. And you're just playing with your friends. And so there's no one's going to write you a letter from, you know, another state saying you're doing that wrong. But now on with YouTube and where, I guess, Twitch, wherever everybody's gaming yeah. and they call it the Mercer effect or whatever. how can I game that much? And then you've got, are that, well, how can I run a game as well as these professionals or whatever you want to call them? And then on the flip of that, the world building stuff is crazy because I've read, I don't know, half a dozen articles, blog posts by people that quit the game or or are very frustrated and want to quit because they can't get their worlds formed and working and all of that stuff. And I'm, and I'm reading this stuff going, this isn't really about world building. That's a side effect. World building is great. And you're, going to accidentally world build, you know, no matter what you do, because it's just the, the nature of, as you build a game around it. And so you really don't need to worry about all of that. So the question I get when, when people ask, you know, what, how, what do you, how do you begin building your world? How do you begin? And it's the same thing, beginning of the world, beginning of the game is the same thing. And, and it's just keep it simple. And I try to explain to people, keep it so, so very, very simple. Uh, and I got a whole kind of lecture now that I do, but you're right, Spark, because it's hard to kind of take a step back and go, okay, they don't know to begin the story that they're not only are they crafting the story, but they're crafting the story with other people, but they're mm-hmm. also adjudicating. They got it. They don't, it's not intuitive. It's just, I don't mm-hmm. think it's intuitive. Yeah. So I think that to answer your question, Jr. I think that, I, I think it's in there in the player's handbook. And I think it's, it's decent, but I, I I probably need to sit down and write just a a pamphlet, you know, 18 pages, 20 pages of just, some tips
0: so something like you might get in the rules light version which for those of who don't know it's like the preview of the game it's enough that you could sit down and play for a level or two but you're not gonna you're gonna need to purchase it to get more generally it's like a free sample to get you you know an idea of what's out there but it's it's that pamphlet approach to to explain games I found those really helpful when I was when I was getting started um
2: and i'll say this your g your uh, gm tricks of the trade i mean whether it's the the, the patreon uh list or just the the the, the stream you do every week uh, that has been immensely helpful to solving some some you know real perplexing questions and problems and oh I'm, I'm
1: glad i'm glad because it it's one of those things mean you could write
2: make... a book on that whole subject easily
1: well we're well, we, we are eventually going to take all because it's 520 so <laughs> It's a lot <laughs>
2: yeah I've been reading like you know like 20 or 30 of them a week or something and
1: <laughs> yeah it, it's a lot and it's I think we've got them all in the database and for I think it's like a dollar on the patreon you get access to all of them yeah um so and it's and because it's a lot there's a lot that goes into it and a, and I've watched so many dms just beat themselves up over stuff uh, that just you man you just can't control because players are crazy they're just yeah. <laughs> they're just crazy
0: <laughs> and it's Which is every- good, though every table is different. Like you never know. Like I, I figured I played with James Ward at that Crimson Hawk that we mentioned in the beginning and he was DM for a while. And then Walt took over, Walt Robillard DM'd, and then James played. And so I'm like, okay, I've played some games. I know exactly how these players are going to react. And so you set these situations up (laughs) and you give them the perfect hook. Like, yeah, that's cool and all, but I'm going over here in the left field and I'm like, crap, I didn't prepare anything over there. (laughs) And so it's, it's one of those things where like, not just every system is going to be different every setting is going to affect yep. it differently and then every group at the table swapping one if, person out yeah like one session a week there's completely yep. changes the
1: dynamic and you can't and, and you can't judge i remember the front the, probably one of the most shocked i was running a game for kids they're all under like 10 or 11 or something there's six or seven eight of them i don't know and we're all having a blast but they're traveling and they've got rations that I'm making, keeping track of how much food they eat. And this and this goobly goop. Well, they run out of food. And at one point they kill an orc. And, with, party. And, and I do what? The daughter party. Well, that's what this is what this young girl who's probably eight or nine oh my done, gosh, did. they killed an orc, and I and i mentioned, you know, they, they loot the orc or whatever, and I can't remember what I said, but something like Now you guys remember you're out of food, and she goes without missing a beat. I eat the orc. <laughs> <laughs> orcs taste like pork i guess I, don't know. <laughs> I guess if you're starving you can eat an orc i had never thought about it to be honest with you
0: <laughs> yeah I, I i saw that coming because we literally just did a, a session on monday and uh and we we had them it was started as a dungeon that was just easter themed because they started them the week after or the monday after easter and i'm like We'll clear a dungeon in a session. No, no, it doesn't work no. that way. By the way, people no. pacing is a thing. No. uh And so now they've got this dungeon full of rabbits that they're fighting, and the ranger's like, "Yeah, I don't want to run out of food. We're totally eating this giant rabbit." Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> you're eating the Easter bunny. Thanks. Way to give us nightmares. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I'm in that game, and we ran into
2: these mushroom creatures. I'm like. JR, have you planned for the possibility that one of us decides to eat one of the mushrooms?
0: Yeah, the shrieker. It's uh it's in the Sword (laughs) and Wizardry. Like, no, I haven't. Okay, I'm that either <laughs> I I mean, gonna have a good hallucination or I'm gonna die from poison. <laughs> so so now adding it to the uh the dungeon master, game master, castle keeper is like what happens if the player eats X? You gotta have an answer. Because now it's gonna happen every time you turn around. <laughs> right. So so speaking of that, so I found when I was looking for support as a dungeon master before Sparky actually joined my game to teach me how to do the dungeon master, so he's sort of oh, side no. driving as a no, player. No, no. Um but there are a lot of channels with that are popping up with advice for Dungeon Masters, sort yeah. of the professional DM set. But a lot of them are kind of either targeted too specifically at one specific system, or they're so broad that applying the advice becomes difficult. So what sort of support is Troll Lord Games going to offer as far as – I know you've got a Twitch channel, you got a YouTube channel. Are you going to do some of the how-to-plays and how-to-generate character, that kind of thing? Yes, yeah, actually, if
1: want one of the things Chuck and I are working on now, um, we got to get got to figure the camera angle out, but we're going to try to do very short. You know, I find that, uh, you know, I, I use YouTube all the time. If I don't know how to fix something, a piece of plumbing, electric, whatever, I go to YouTube, type it in and some plumbers out there, thank God has done
0: done a video on how to fix <laughs> yeah. this thing. Amen.
1: Yeah, exactly. But I always skip, you know, the first minute because he's just jabbering about it, about something that's not yes. helping me. I know I shouldn't do that. I always like the video. You know, I <laughs> try to show my support, like, share, and subscribe, out.
0: people. You do the thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but so I'm going to try to keep them very short. We're going to do just some a very brief how to roll a character. You know how to pick a name, how to start a game, any anything like that, and keep them under like. Chuck kind of wants it a little bit longer. We'll we'll figure this out. He wants them to be about ten minutes. I'm thinking about three or four. So if you've got this, and it's sort of like the GM's tricks of the trade, the early ones are not. They're not orderly, but the latter ones are all kind of subject driven. So it's five tricks on how to run an NPC, five tricks on this. So you can kind of go and read that kind of body of, you know, work subject that you're concerned about. So what I'd like to do is have this series of videos that are very short. So if you need to know how to do you know, ideas on how to mess with shrieker mushrooms when your character eats them, whatever it is, it's just like two minutes. So you don't have to invest you know, 30 yeah, minutes just, of listening. Yeah, some of the videos are just so They're, they're, yes. They're and too we're
2: in the age of TikTok. People, <laughs> they're, t- and you know, you're like the most progressive g- guy in the uh, RPG uh, industry because you're on TikTok and there's a lot, of, a lot of others I think are.
1: Hey, let me tell you what's funny about that. So, TikTok's average video is like a minute or something, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I enjoyed TikTok. I'll sit there and stroll through TikTok. And if, if there's a TikTok that's over a minute, I just keep going. <laughs> <Get> bored,
2: <laughs> actually, it's your fault that I finally broke down because my girlfriend, she's all over TikTok, always sending me all these videos that I have to look at out of the app. And then you signed up. And I'm like, damn it. Fine. I'm just going to get the app. It. It's watch an entertaining this. venue. Yeah, it really is. I hate to admit it, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> It's good she, when you have absolutely nothing else to do. She's been yes, sending, uh,
0: we're in a shared Discord, Sparky and I, and some of our friends are, and there's, a, we literally just, there's a whole sub-channel for all the the, um, the TikTok she finds for us, and some of the stuff, like the reading uh, book talk, I guess they call it, where people are finding some of the ways people describe things, and it's like, have they ever looked at insert X that they're describing? It's like, they don't understand how any of that works, but they sure yeah. wrote about it. But, <laughs> so I have noticed that you guys, in addition to the tiktok which i didn't realize you guys had and i will add that to the show notes people you have a twitch stream where you run some games so if there are other people that are running games like sparky does with his old time taverns that are running your system is there any way they reach out to you so you can sort of make people aware it's there they get views you get content advertising how does that work for you
1: yeah absolutely so chuck heads up all of our organized play and the twitch streaming um so chuck chuck combo who you want to talk to on that uh I believe you have to go through Tim I think on the internet we need to fix this actually I think you got to go to product support we're actually installing a bot system that's going to allow people to ask quick questions and just get email addresses and stuff like that but yeah so you want to get a hold of Chuck and Chuck will get you on our channel and or sponsor your channel he's got a couple of programs that he's built uh, around all of this stuff he keeps explaining them to me I don't I don't know mostly what he's talking about yeah, but he's, got <laughs>
2: grand pl- he's told me about grand plans and I don't want-
1: yeah. Okay. Gonna, okay, just let me know. <laughs> but yeah, and so, if you are running Castles and Crusades, we'll be more than happy to sponsor you with giveaways, prizes, stuff like that. Or if you want to run it on our channel, you know, we're, we're more than happy to entertain that as well. We're really trying to fill up the Twitch channel with just a lot of good content. Uh, we, we, Tim's working on a poetry reading. Uh, We've started Grace. He started reading our fiction Thursday nights after my GMTT and, and Tim's World Anvil. So we're, we're looking for a lot of content. So, yeah, absolutely reach out.
0: So speaking of the Twitch channel, that's one of the things that that I think it's worth mentioning. So sometimes you watch Twitch and, you know, you, you wonder what you're if you fall off the dark end of the Internet uh, <laughs> on their Twitch channel. They actually, in addition to having some fun, actual plays where you'll see Steve and, and Chuck and, and sometimes even Sparky Gaming, they do uh, giveaways through their Twitch channel. I actually won uh, the Egypt Codex. Through uh, just watching it, and uh, in fact, I just downloaded that yesterday. So that's a cool thing. If you're into, you know, you want to try it before you buy it, and you watch in the channel anyway, you might win some free stuff because they're pretty, pretty liberal about um, doing free free giveaways and such on their lots of giveaways. And I'm sure it's all a tax write off, but I would hate to have to track all that for your poor accountant. (laughs) Yeah, so we we sort of track it. (laughs) Track
2: it.
1: I've heard stories
2: related um, to this issue and they weren't good.
0: <laughs> yeah. We don't want to give the accountants listening nightmares, so we'll just move on. So right. What, um, so you you started the conversion of the aired air day? I'm probably butchering it with of it, this- I, I
1: say aired, but I, I you know, however people pronounce it, I'm more than happy, whatever. So you, <laughs> what
0: is next after the Kickstarter? Yeah. Is this a one and done for the five E, or are you gonna start expanding out this universe? So
1: the aired universe is actually system neutral. So, and we, I primarily write content for it via castles and crusades. Uh, most of the content I write for it is actually just system neutral. So if you played dungeon call classics, you could take air and, and play your DCC games in it. Swords and wizardry, whatever, any OSR games, you can easily move into, into the world of air. And now as for supporting fifth edition, yeah, we we'll, we have more coming out. Our next focus, we're going to shift back to the siege engine that after this Kickstarter, sometime this summer, Jason, and I were working on that today. We're gonna do a, a amazing adventures which is our multi-genre game uh, modern game uh, is a black and white book at the moment. I want to get that thing out in full color with a whole new layout, whole new art, whole shebang and bring it into the modern world. So the next Kickstarter will be bringing amazing adventures and then after that I'm hammering on planescapes so we've got we got just a lot of good content coming in.
0: So, you, you've, you've talked about the way the different styles of games are set up with the way some of the more linear path um, of like a 5e style of play versus the more sandbox that some of the old school games are. But as a designer, how do you go about creating that immersive world without stunning both the player and the game master?
1: So for the world setting, uh, all I do when I when I write content for the world of air that's system neutral, I just lace it with adventure hooks, just tons of adventure hooks. So if I'm describing... Uh, a, a terrain piece, say I was, I was describing an, an escarpment today. Uh, I take that escarpment and I just kind of—I think I've wrote that there's a fierce tribe of kobolds that live in there. Or you might write something like, "This is where the Empress once uh, had—you know, she, she picnicked here once, and it was rumored that shoes—that her shoes were lost." Or what? Anything like that. I will weave stuff like that into the content so that the GMs, when they're reading it, can say, "Oh, I can take this. I can take this idea and, and run with it." A perfect example of that uh, in the Codex of Erd, there's this rather epic scene where one of the gods slays uh, one of the other gods and her mist, uh, the blood of her mist rises up. Uh, The the evil god gathers this mist, forms it into a cloak, uh, and then later, and he wears that cloak, the cloak of of his sister, uh, of her blood as this artifact. Later, it's destroyed and scattered across the world. Well, one of the guys that I'm running in the in the, the Youngbloods game, uh, he, he just happened to read that line that the, the cloak of red was scattered across the world from the dragon's fire, And and he said, OK, this is what and this is completely out of the blue. He's like, this is what we're doing in this game. I said, well, what are we doing? Because I didn't I didn't even have anything planned yet. He's going, we're, we're going to find the cloak of red. He's first level. And he's he's decided that his quest is to <laughs> gather quest. This, this artifact. And I'm sitting there thinking. On one hand, that's pretty cool, but on the other hand, that's what that's for, so that whoever's playing this content can yank these small adventure hooks out and do whatever they want with them, as little or as much that they want with them. Now, when it comes to the actual, like if I'm when I'm writing a Castles and Crusades adventure, that's a little trickier because you don't want to railroad people, even on the adventure path. You don't want to make them go. You want them to kind of go that you know, go in that direction. And that's, that gets very tricky because the railroading just after you've been railroaded for, mm-hmm. you know, two or three chapters or adventures, however you want to look at it, you, you don't feel like you're playing your character. Yeah, i you are an be...
2: not a, a train hobo. Exactly. And that, <laughs> and that's
1: what you want to avoid. So it gets, it gets a little bit trickier. And I think that's where NPCs come in. Uh, NPCs, I think is one of the most undervalued uh, things that a, that a GM has. Uh, an asset that they have to kind of control, guide, influence, encourage, you know, nudge, nudge (laughs) characters, players to go in a direction. So that, that part gets a little bit trickier without a doubt.
0: So you mentioned the NPCs and such. And one of the things when Sparky was helping me set up some of the stuff for the gaming is we looked at support for game masters and we found and they don't even make it anymore but there was a swords and wizards we put it out but they're basically pre-generated cards like random this is the loot you find or this is an npc and these are the stats do you do any of that i mean it doesn't have to be like a index card like this was but do you do any of that kind of stuff to help new game masters get into your your system
1: So we've got two books, uh, two NPC almanacs, each each is about 250 pages long, and they're filled with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of NPCs. Just an absolute mountain of NPCs. And, you know, the first book, uh, what's it called? Sketches in the Register. The Register is just this essentially 250 pages of tables. And it's just got, it'll have the name, uh, three words of a description, three words of a personality. Hit points, you know, it just your basic content that you need to run this innkeeper or the stable boy or whatever it is. And so those two, those two books bring NPC so much NPC stuff, uh, and the clever GM will figure out very, very quickly that they can interchange all of that content. So it's almost a limitless number of NPCs that you can pull out of these books. Um, and and ironically. We have not done it and we need to finish it. It's almost done, but that's the last piece of that NPC Almanac Kickstarter was henchman cards. So we're, nice. we're we are wrapping those up soon. And we need, that's the literally the last piece of all those Kickstarters that I've been wrestling with for the past year is of a henchman card. So it's, <laughs> it's funny and
0: ironic that you asked that.
1: <laughs> so soon. And I,
0: I didn't know that you had those going. I just know like, I'm thinking about it as someone who's a new game master and like what I'm working with and trying to figure out and what has helped me and what hasn't. And uh, I've got lucky just partly because, you know, working with Galaxy's Edge and I've got access to Walt Robillard who's like been gaming since like Christ was a corporal. And so he knows all the things (laughs) and he can point me in all the directions. Uh, And then, you know, through that I met Sparky. And like, so I've, I've made contacts with people that helped me. And in fact, I was in a game master discord Uh, And I asked about maps because I was really struggling to get the map so I could like do the terrain because I, I suck at that. That's like, I'm not a cartographer and I've tried the programs and they're, they're not idiot proof. And if they are, they're not JR proof. And so I was asking and no one had an answer. And they're like, well, just think on it if you come up with something. So I finally, I'm writing a book with James Ward. I called James, I'm like, James, what do I do? I mean, you've written games, you know this stuff, right? And he's like, oh yeah, just use England. It's a small confined space. You know, use the United Kingdoms and, and go from there and then you can explore. And so I, I came back with my answer and they were like people in the comment section were like, like going like if you had his phone number why did you bother us <laughs> like, 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 like you're not supposed to be able to call directly to the king that's a cheat and they're like oh you're just name dropping i'm like crap and i started thinking about like some because of that experience and then branching outwards how many people you meet that most people probably don't have access to yeah and oh, so yeah uh, and you definitely and want to Jim make that help available to everyone else you know he's something yeah. else Jim Ward is a beautiful person.
1: He is so kind. He's a good writer. He's a good game designer. absolutely love working with Jim. I love working with Jim.
0: So you mentioned uh, all the things that you have, the NPCs, the settings, the terrain. Like, I know there are ways to track it. And you have something that you mentioned in your Kickstarter. um, You want to talk about your world anvil, what that is and how that works for for players? I was about to ask about that. Oh, well, it didn't look like you were. And I I didn't want, (laughs) want to bore people with dead air. I'm sorry, Sparky. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, the World Anvil is a site where you can go... I think the original conception of it was as a as a DM, GMCK. You can go there and kind of... Whatever world you're playing in, you can upload your content and you can run your campaign on it. Well, it turned out to be a fantastic place for publishers and creators and designers to bring their stuff kind of... Uh, not so much as alive, as more accessible. And the Codex of Erd is a huge world. I mean, it's got... I've written easily easily 400 to 500,000 words on it. Yeah, I mean it's it's a mountain of material, heraldry, you know, NPCs, all of this stuff. So the world and becomes a place where these maps you see on the wall behind me have been uploaded, the world map has as well. And we're working on actually the uh, the solar system around uh, 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 an animated piece for that. Uh, and then everything that's that I've written is on that map. You click, you know, you zoom in on the map, and as you zoom in on a terrain piece, you can click it, and it pops up and tells you what this ridgeline is, what this escarpment is, whatever. Mm. Um, and the more I detail it, every time, like today, I was working on the Brachian Coast, which is uh, impacted into the Undying War. Uh, and each of the pieces I wrote, I sent to Tim, and he's uploading them to the World Anvil. So it gives you really quick access. And one of the nice things about the World Anvil uh, all of our published adventures are uploaded on it. So if you subscribe, I think it's—I think you got to go through the Patreon to get it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's like fifteen bucks a month, but you have access to all the hundred or so adventures that we've published because they're uploaded where they are on the map, uh, and you can just download them and start reading them and, and start playing from the map.
0: Okay. So Sparky, you got any before I before I hog all this time? I brought you on here because you're my my resident favorite nerd. So. <laughs> I, I think I'm honored by that, Jr.
2: Mm, I don't
0: know. I, I uh, that was going to be my next question, leading into about the the world anvil because that is a really good useful resource. And although, and, be be warned, the world anvil those those worlds when you dive into all the connecting links, the way it works, like a links to b links that you know you you can follow a whole yeah. story just through that. It'll suck you in if you if you're not it's careful. Like Wikipedia so- at three in the morning. exactly. (laughs) Or TikTok, if you're Steve. Um, Yes, or TikTok. (laughs) So one of the things I realized, I had this light bulb moment. I I grabbed just a map off of Google because, like I said, I, I don't map. For this dungeon, and I realized all the rooms were numbered, and I'm like, "Huh, I bet if I just write what's an even room, and I match the number to things, my job gets a lot easier." And I tell Sparky because <laughs> I thought I just invented the wheel. He's like, "Dude, that's a freaking module." So, uh, are you going to have any like modules or one offs that are going to come out in this five E setting that you're putting out in the future?
3: Uh,
1: well, we what one of the things we're doing with one offs. Um, the VTT platforms are really friendly to those things. Uh, so we'll do short encounters and, and load those up in VT. It'll be for fifth edition and castles and crusades as well. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely in the offer.
2: And that's actually something you also offer for the, the, the Patreon you get weekly or every other week, uh, Davis's little adventure hooks and yeah. some stat blocks. And it's just pretty neat. I think you're also, yeah, you, get a nice, a you get a nice, you get a nice talk through. with the Patreon. The,
1: the Patreon is, I think from a, a you know, the, consumer side of things it's the best approach you're going to get the most if you like digital it's all digital content of course you know it's not printed but uh it's so what kind you of get stuff access. can
0: they get on the yeah. on the patreon since you haven't talked about that yet. what all is there if they're if they're considering wanting to support what you're doing so we've got
1: i'm gonna to have to remember it so we've got five levels the first level is just a dollar and that gives you the gm tricks of the trade which there's five or 520 over 500 of those things in there and growing because every time we do we do it every thursday at 4:30 central standard time and whatever I, I wrote or we discussed goes into the GMTT on Patreon. The next one is just kind of, you. I think it's $2 and you just get the GMTT and then uh, odd and end things that Tim finds from the archives. Like we sent a, a, a bunch of the original logos for the Crusader magazine that we did years ago out to him. So you just get kind of, you know, bits and pieces like that. And then the $5 level, uh, you get everything below that. I'm not really sure what else you get at the $5, but you get a, a couple of things. The $10 is when it kind of kicks in and you get the, the weekly adventure uh, fiction pieces uh, and, and odd names and pieces. And then on the the $5 level, gives you access to World Animal, I think. $10 level, a little bit deeper access. And then at $15, which is the highest, you get all of that and then complete access to the World Animal, complete access to Davis's weekly I think it's, yeah, it's weekly adventure, right? He does a weekly one page yeah. adventure and then magic items and NPCs, whatever else he's, he's, he's rolled off his, his noodle. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's more than worth it. Just, just if you can get into the world Anvil, if, if you can enjoy that, that side of things, it's, it's definitely more than worth
2: it. It's kind of interesting to me because I, I think the, that is kind of a, a progressive notion in the RPG community, or or just the publishing community either. I'm starting to see more and more authors and publishers kind of selling their their worlds or their fiction as a service. You, know, you pay X amount, you know, a year or month, and you get, you know, you get the uh, if for there's novelists who, You know, hundred bucks a year, you get all of our books right. for this year. And now I'm starting to see that kind of in this. With the RPG content, and I think that's a pretty really clever idea, and I, I think uh, we're gonna be seeing a lot of that going forward, a lot more.
1: It's it's essentially the Netflix, you know, model because Netflix took the idea of renting They killed Blockbuster for all of us. It's like Blockbuster, but <laughs> but the,
0: yeah. I actually uh, found my card when I was cleaning my room a couple months ago. Yeah. Should <laughs> so awesome. I send it to a museum?
1: Uh, but i mean you you pay whatever it is now i think 25 bucks or something and you have access to all these movies and it's and it's a great model um my only issue with this this approach to the model is at the end of the day you don't you don't really own it right unless you've downloaded it and once you quit paying that fee but i think for the way the internet is structured it's it's brilliant because the internet is not a bookstore it's I don't think bookstores are going away or going anywhere. I mean, our print sales have, we've watched digital, our digital revenue increase year by year by year, and the print sales increase right along with it year by year by year. Um, So we're not seeing any kind of, you know, crippling of print with more digital content. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. I agree. Uh, Yeah. I I just think that this, the subscription model, which Patreon is, is just like you said, Spark, it's a really good way to reach out and people have access to stuff and it's, it's not expensive. So you can find those creators you like and get into it.
2: Yeah. And it gives the customers who, who really like a company or the product, you know, the, the ability to give it a little bit extra. It's right. like in my case. I, I love the print. I've blown up my print collections and started playing uh, CNC, CNC. Uh, but also by the digital alongside of it, because you know the digital is good for quick reference. Do a word search on it, but for deep study. And I think, some of that is how the brain functions, because I can interpret and in, 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 uh, retain uh, information out of a book a lot better than than digital
0: me too yeah you yeah, and I are I've right. had, and, and I've read
2: studies about uh, about the science of that and so it's like yeah books aren't going anywhere well
0: the, yeah, the reason that you remember it better in print this I'll try not to go too nerdy on it is because there's not just the visual like you're reading it so you're learning it that way there's the hand um action of holding the book and turning the yeah. page that triggers muscle memory too so you're learning yeah. it on many different last yeah. facets yeah. and it affects that way um, although I think as the evolution of some of the digital e-readers come out to be more almost like just a digital book, like, I mean, as far as like, it opens like a book instead of just a flat device, you'll see some of that shift, but I so, think that's just us old fogies being old.
1: I think, I think actually you're dead on. And one, well, years ago, about 10 years ago, and we used flash to do this, the TLG catalog. When you went to the catalog page on the website, it showed an image of it, and when you clicked it, it had a page. One page would be turned over at, the, you know, ear ear. What do you call it? your dog, dog ear at to the top. Yeah. So you'd click the dog ear, and you could, hear, if you listened, you could hear the page turn. It'd go, you know, as it opened. Mm-hmm. So you could flip through the pages of this thing. And oh, nice. Peter Peter Bradley and I were working on this just the other day. Uh, we believe that InDesign allows us to do this, so we're going to try in this Kickstarter. We're going to try in the next week or so to get the first chapter so that people can read it like you do a book and hear that it's funny to get That's that. Cool. I really, I just want to hear the page turn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I bet you like the clickety clack of your keyboard too. You don't want that silent nonsense. Exactly. I, yeah,
1: I want to know I'm alive. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's kind of like when I bought my, had my
2: first computer, it was really quiet, I had really quiet fans. You know, I was used to the old beige models, which, you know, sounded like a, a turbo prop running or, or some crap. And this first time I turned down, I'm like, it's broken. It's not <laughs> oh, oh, it's just quiet. Hell.
1: So I know you both are going to remember this. I was, I was explaining one of my kids asked me not long oh. ago about, he said something like, did you, I can't somebody. Do you know those, those types of air conditioners that you propped in the window or you do something in the window. And I, <laughs> I proceeded to, to spin this, this wonderful tale of the, the greatest invention of all time is the air conditioner that goes in the window Cause it blows, it spits a little water on you. The noise is comforting. The air is cool. Yes. <laughs> hey,
2: bring them Stone County Arkansas, and there's plenty of those. Of course, we're like you know Stone County's like 50 years behind everybody else. Yeah. so you know, There we
0: are. <laughs> but Florida understands the value of that. They built a statue to the man that invented the air conditioning.
2: Excellent <laughs> as they should.
0: So I'm gonna steal Sparky's question, but so you mentioned when you were dealing with the, the kids the some of the plot hooks that you didn't think they would grab. So what's the funniest thing that you've written that people grab as a plot hook and you're like, no, I wasn't actually writing it for that, but do you have any of those? You,
1: one one of the things I'm still fighting this now. So I did an adventure with this the younger kids, and they entered this tower that's partially submerged. Uh, now, the tower itself, the base of the tower was flooded because there was a hole in the wall and there's a monster in there. Well, they had a bag of holding or portable holding they had a portable hole. Oh, no. Yeah. So what they wanted to do was dive into the water and open the portable hole so that it would drain all the water out. <laughs> That's actually
0: genius. It's genius. It's
1: absolute, well, <laughs> well, I I started to say, well, yeah, that'll work. And then I stopped. I stopped. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. These people are insane. These poor (laughs) kids are—they're just nuts. And if I let them drain the water out of this tower, they're going to go to a lake or the ocean. (laughs) Start draining everything. So I, it is, I, I didn't allow it. I, I said the water has to be physically pushed through. That was about eight months ago. Not a game goes by. They don't bring up that portable, <laughs> portable but hole. We
2: have a pump now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah well, they they, they, uh, we're going to pump this hole like hell. This is the most ridiculous ruling. You just, you're just ruled against this blah, 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 blah. I did. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. I the
0: probably important important would have allowed it and then rule. regretted it later. The
2: most yeah, important the rule. You can say, no. Yes.
0: <laughs> no, the power of
2: no.
1: It's it's funny, though, when you get especially younger players, and Jared, sounds like you're going to be running some younger people. They th- Their conceptualization of games is different than ours. They've been playing video games, so it's a whole different approach. Uh, so they've already got this kind of imagination locked in, right? They've seen stuff that we've never seen because of all the graphics. And our graphics weren't great, you know, back in the day. So they've seen all this really cool stuff. And then when you tell them they can do anything they want, it's just, it's oh absolutely crazy. It's just nuts.
0: So I played a game. Originally, I was just going to develop something. It was just a D6 system. It was going to be really easy. Uh, Cause I figured I needed to make it idiot proof. Uh, and so I'm like, we were playing the system and my son, my youngest son had come over from his experience with the role-playing game with Skyrim. So he's facing his first enemy and he's like, can we aim our shots? And I'm like, okay, what do you got? And he goes, I don't like this guy. I want to shoot him in the knee and I want him to have to tell everybody for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be an adventurer until I took an arrow to the knee. And I'm just thinking, Oh my God. I'm going to allow it. Why not? <laughs> <It's- Yeah. laughs> but that's
1: what, that's, what's cool when they come this. And that's one of the best things about it is I think they one only, I enjoy seeking, GMing the most, uh, more than I do enjoy playing because the players come at you with such crazy stuff. Uh, and it's and it's cool. It, it keeps you on your toes, and it, you know it gets all the juices flowing. It's just it's just hilarious.
2: And then when they do something crazy and it works and it delivers yeah. the heroic moment, that's that's what it's about right there. I mean, yep. you know, like ninety percent of the time it fails, and you know the like our illusionist gnome blew himself up
0: in a fireball. You know, it's like <laughs> it'd be cool if it worked, but or, or the day that, they put a certain sword in a bag of holding and killed the whole party. Oops. <laughs> Sometimes stuff happens.
1: Sometimes it happens, but that's, that's the thing you, and Dave's never talking about this the other day, the game offers you, because the reset's not as easy as it is in a video game. It offers you those epic moments and they're rare. Uh, And if your system allows you to really try them, it's going to make a moment so memorable. You're you're going to remember it 10 years from now Mm -hmm. Uh, because you did whatever. And the other night character got separated, aiden's rogue thief and he just for some strange reason decided to giant to attack this forest giant by himself you know alone and i thought well this he's dead i mean there's just no way but he scored a natural 20 and then a backstab max damage twice or some crazy shit and he did so much damage in three melee rounds that essentially he killed the giant it was really cool they'll remember that moment for years and years and that's what rpgs really bring to the table
0: do you actually have a natural 20 uh, critical hit role in your system?
1: We do. We've got quite a number that you can use. Uh, I use a very basic system, and this is in the CKG as well. Uh, if you hit with a natural 20, you do maximum damage plus a D4. Uh, so you can do you can do a huge amount of damage uh, very quickly. And it happened to be in, in Castles and Crusades, as a rogue, as a backstab, you do quadruple damage. So when he's stabbed, she's stabbed. He's He's playing a female character. When he she stabbed whatever however, you want it, however that we go <laughs> stabbed the the giant rolled a natural twenty quadruple damage using a short sword so it was six times four, 24 plus the bonus plus this, it was just crazy it was like thirty two points of damage in one melee round I was like what nice the-? yeah but it was epic it was an epic moment. So our <laughs> epic
0: moments with Sparky go the other direction where all of us missed for almost 20 rounds. Like we were just fanning each other with our swords. It, it finally ended not by one of us scoring but by one of us hitting a natural one and killing each other that way yeah. instead. I <laughs> think
2: I, one of the most memorable nights for me for bad rolls was the, the was an A-0 in the in the the, the goblin uh, dining hall area where it was like 20-something goblins that are all drunk off their ass and, and the party they tried to do it like a sneak start, like you know, sneaking around. The thief was killing one here and a killing one there, and then something blue uh, alerted the goblins, and it was on. But I rolled like rolled twelve uh, fumbles that night. Good God! And, and we and we were we were running uh, uh, Jay Scott's uh, uh, critical hit tables, and they're brutal. They are at least that at that time they were brutal as hell, but they were rolling a lot of 20s and i was rolling nothing but ones the (laughs) guy and and it almost went tpk but i was fumble saving too and it was it was just epic
1: yeah pete did pete in this youngbloods game they do uh, pete was using the critical hits where when you roll you know you go to a chart and it you Mm -hmm. decapitate someone or whatever uh, and I kept telling him, "Don't do that because it's going to go against you." If I'm using, if you're yeah. using crits, I'm going to use crits, and I'm swinging yep. more. It's so going the end. Yep. It's just going to go against you. But that guy rolled a critical fumble, rolled a one, so we went to the critical fumble table, and then he rolled a natural twenty, which is you decapitate yourself.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: How does that work? <laughs> was, yeah, we don't know. But <laughs> we we've seen some of those where like oh, the fumble with the critical fail, and it's like you kill yourself, and I'm like. I'm trying to envision how you kill yourself if you're firing an arrow. Like, you know, well, we'll just roll again on the critical hit table. Just like and, this. And, and then after that, after we had rolled, they're like, well, I guess if it ricocheted, I'm like, well, good thing you told me that after because that would have killed you. That would have <laughs> yeah. been the justification I needed to make it make sense. But yeah. all right, so that sounds really fun. Is there anywhere where they can join the community and share these fun stories as they're, you know, adventuring in the worlds of uh, Troll Lord games?
1: yeah absolutely go to our website and go to the discord channel and that's where we got a ton of channels for just general stuff you can talk to i've got a channel too where if you have questions for me i go in there and answer them we got a a channel on air and all kinds of stuff so definitely the discord but we're on twitch instagram twitter tiktok we're just about everywhere
0: all right and uh, we wouldn't be anywhere if we hadn't started first with gary and his uh dungeon and dragon so what was it like when you met him for the first time
1: uh so, so i'd never seen a picture of gary uh this is going to be this is the year 2001 uh we'd been talking on the phone and emailing for months as we put projects together but he came up we were getting ready gen con 2001 it's going to be wednesday morning uh we're frantically putting the booth together todd and i were and this this elderly gentleman walks up ponytail beard and asks if i want to go have a smoke and i smoked in those days and, and i was like my first first thought is, well, yeah, of course I want to have a smoke. But who are you? <laughs> who's who this weirdo? Who's, who's just randomly asking me to have a smoke? Uh, and I'm so I'm trying to kind of I'm being polite, trying to stammer around. And he started to grin, and he knew immediately that I didn't know who he was. That's kind of how Gary was. And then I figured out, oh wait a minute, I, I see what's going on here. Uh, and then of course we introduced ourselves and proceeded. We got along instantly. We went out. Ironically, we went out, uh, and you'll appreciate this, Jared. We went out to the back loading dock, sat down in a couple chairs, started smoking and talking history. We didn't talk game design, publishing, not once. We we sat there for like 30 minutes just talking history stuff. It was great.
0: Uh, it's a frustrated history nerd. I, I totally appreciate that. So yes, <laughs> that's the great thing about being a historian is all the math is done for you. <laughs> and if you're wrong, they're all dead and they're not going to disagree.
1: No one's going to argue much. So. <laughs> so is
0: there any one period of history that you want to include in a game that you haven't yet? Uh,
1: no, my games, my, I, I tend to like the medieval period, and that's all over air. The early medieval period stopping about 1200s or so, that's my favorite game period. Gary's was the Renaissance, interestingly enough. Um, but my actual favorite period in history is about 1840, so such and such, the the end of the Biedermeier era up through the end of World War I. Uh, that's my absolute, world European history mostly, Habsburg. Absolutely love that. I eat that stuff up for some strange reason. <laughs> Who knows? But...
0: Fair, fair. All right. So we're going to wrap this up. Sparky, did you have anything else? Because I brought you on. You're an excellent nerd and we appreciate you being here. I try. <laughs> he's so humble and modest, people. Yeah. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Sparky's right, good so... people.
1: He, he's always in my streams uh, yeah. boosting us along.
0: Yeah. So, I uh the company.
2: I like your product and I like what you're doing. And I Thank don't apologize for that. that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for all the support, man. It is, it, you have no idea how helpful it is.
0: So clearly this is winding down, but uh, before we let you go, was there anything about the Undying War Kickstarter and Lord Games in general that we didn't ask that you want to tell us?
1: You know, the only thing I'll say about the Undying War, um, it, is, it is an adventure, like I said earlier, that begins pretty simply. When you begin on this quest, you have, not even a quest, when you begin on this road, you don't even know you're on a road towards an epic adventure. Uh, and it kind of evolves into that but the adventure itself, if the GM is inclined, the, the material would be there is there's a romance involved. The, the evil Coburg, the Undying, that's, this is the Undying War because Coburg, the Undying, is waging the war. But he's also looking for his lost love, the Lady of Garun, who is an extraordinarily evil uh, woman. Uh, so these two evil characters, there's this kind of romance involved. So there's a, a whole other depth, I think, to this adventure path that, that uh, we're very proud of
0: okay so dear listener before we let you go we're going to remind you that uh, your thoughts matter too so please be kind and speak your mind in the reviewing platforms uh and there are ways that if you're buying the game over on DriveThruRPG rpg and the other sites they will let you review them as well um so do a thing and if you've got a blog write write posts write youtube comments whatever like all the things matter uh, it helps get the word out there um and so how can people find troll or games
1: Uh, The easiest way is the website at www.trollord.com. We've also got Facebook pages and we're on all social media, but if you go over to trollord.com, you can see there's a little drop down circle. I think you click the circle and all this stuff opens up where you can go to and and whatever social media platform you prefer, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, whatever, we are there in some capacity.
0: (laughs) And I will say they made it very, very easy. I spent like five seconds finding all their links. Most of the time it takes a little longer. So if oh, you go definitely. to their website, you will find all the things, people. All right. Sparky, we did mention that you run the uh, the Twitch and YouTube channel Old Time Tavern. So can you tell people how they can find your awesome community? Uh, look up Old Times Tavern
2: on uh, twitch.com, and uh, you can uh, find the links to all our social media. We have a Discord. We have a Twitter. Where sometimes I'll make an opinion, which is oddly supported and makes people mad, even though it's not that controversial. Whatever.
0: Yeah, there, there I are least, some of his controversial takes that we had to let go like we're not allowed to talk about backstory because chuck says that'll get to an hours-long rant and we would <laughs> derail the whole thing and we weren't no, no, my content. controversial
2: take was all the 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 hot takes are all 90 percent of them are bad from both sides everything is just bad and terrible and and <laughs> people need to chill out a little bit but
0: all right and you can find us on twitter at twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show sierra foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show we do have an email at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com blasters and blades Podcast at gmail.com uh normally sesca's answering it answering those so please be kind to her uh, you don't want to hurt her fee-fees. Uh, You can join us on Facebook where you probably found this link at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, be sure to put it in the comment section. If you have any comments for Steve uh, and you put them in the Facebook or when we share this on YouTube, I will pass them along to him. And if it's appropriate, he can answer those for you. Uh, We have a website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where you can support the show for an ongoing reoccurring monthly basis for as little as 99 cents a month. Help keep the lights on. Or you can support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author Jr. Hanley, where uh, be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep Doc Seska and Nick Garber rolling in all the coffee they can drink. Um, And we'll go from there. And maybe we'll listen to Doc tell us about her favorite meat again for the billionth time. But uh, (laughs) thank you for she's trying to get the meatery in Atlanta that she likes to sponsor us just
2: so she has an excuse to write it (laughs) off on her taxes. Like someone was trying to get a Dr Pepper sponsorship.
0: Yes, <laughs> I, I totally get it. Like you just want the—it's it's all about getting the tax credit, people. But uh, right. thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J R Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time, where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.